What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast about movies that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, otherwise done once and therefore done again, as that is the nature of the beast, and the beast is always hungry. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is my co-host, Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And in a rare turn of events... <laughs> in uh, week 14, probably, of COVID-19 and social distancing, as theaters begin to, quote-unquote, reopen, and things are, quote-unquote, safe, which they're not. Don't leave your house yet. <laughs> we have uh, gotten two new movies. The King of Staten Island has come out to rent, and Artemis Fowl is on Disney+. Plus. Two movies... Yeah, yeah. And the Five Bloods on Netflix. Five, that yeah, yeah, that's the third one. Yeah, the Five Bloods. Two of which were intended for theaters. The Five Bloods was always a Netflix movie. Correct. So we're, of course, going to do Artemis Fowl, based off of the hit children novel franchise for young adults. <laughs> I'm learning something about myself, Terrence. I'm old. I have absolutely no idea that this was a thing like when they were like this is based on a hit book series i'm like oh shit i'm old enough now that i've missed the book series i uh am now at an age where the last ya franchise i was even aware of in book form was the hunger games <laughs> anything else i just wasn't the target audience why would no. i know but the that other thing whole... that i've learned by watching this beloved children's book be adapted into this movie is that it is in fact all the same they all follow a pretty interesting trope and it's a play-by-play -play numbers for all the young adult stuff uh maze runner all of them pretty much feel the same way um although i, I would feel like from what i've read and what i gathered before seeing this film i would say that the book readers are probably really pissed about the way that things work Switched around in Disney five for this because it seems like they made it fit into the tropes that a normal young adult novel or young adult story fit when this one did have a sort of slightly different hook to get in um, that they just chose to blatantly ignore. <laughs> well, I think the weird part is that the movie almost assumes you know the book really well and just doesn't really give you much information. If you're not a fan of these books, you're just sort of on a 2000s CGI roller coaster with every single trope and stolen moment from every movie you love. I made a list of them, Terrence, because I was losing track. Uh, <laughs> let's just start right out of the gate. Where's the mom? Welcome to every Disney movie. Disney. Uh, Here's the mysterious person in a hood who we don't know, but I'll tell you this, we haven't been introduced to many characters. The first new person we see, that's probably them. Yeah. Uh, doing her best impression of Bausch Leia from Return of the Jedi. I just kept waiting. I kept being like, where have I heard this voice? And it finally clicked <laughs> with me, is that I hear it constantly telling Han Solo about carbonite freezing. So we're just taking from that. We open the movie with Josh Gad dressed exactly like Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies, and then for some reason decided Olaf is going to be the best Batman we can make him in yeah. a weird black and white 
so that we know that it's at the narrating scene as we catch up to the moment we got to, which is another. Every movie now has to start with the we'll end and catch up end. to itself. Yeah. Ridiculous. We later have Josh Gad uh, in prison listening to a Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape from mm -hmm. the 80s. Uh, yeah. We have a sequence in where fairies are running around with the exact silver highlights as they are consistently just pulling that off from that at the same time using men in black style memory erasing. That's not the first time that you'll see them with, rip off men in black. Really, no, no. Without really even explaining that it's erasing memories, they're just doing it like, cool, that's what it does. They'll figure it out. They've all seen Men in Black. Uh, we also have the sequence where he puts on the suit to look cool. Uh, very Men in Black. Yeah. I thought the fairy costumes looked way too much like the Wasp. Uh, but that's also not the, that's just the second time we're stealing from the MCU. Our introduction to this fairy universe, Terrence, was just underwater Wakanda. They it did it Wakanda. exactly like yeah. we revealed Wakanda. Yeah, uh, which Aquaman had already ripped off before. So you're kind of like, well, this is now you're now doing this the third person removed. <laughs> yep. We watch them steal everything with the dad leaving. You weren't ready yep. to know this yet, but now you have to know it. We had that Matrix style ending where he gets on the phone with the bad guy and is like, I'm going to show him what you don't want him to see. Yeah. Then we. I'm a... Yeah. We release Joss Gad from prison just like we do in Mission Impossible with almost the same music cue. It's essentially the same music cue. Like, I, uh, my wife was not watching with me, but she heard the music cue and she's like, so this is where the movie ends, right? Is this where this, this is definitely the ending sound soundtrack for our last thing? I was like, yes. However, like all movies, like these young adult movies, it's the end, but it's the beginning for, you know, because we're going to continue this franchise forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know that we will. Except for this one. <laughs> and the really the creme de la creme of what we're ripping off in this movie. Spy Kids, Terrence, the movie is just Spy Kids. Well, I it think, is a yeah. Spy Kids movie. I think that happens when you fundamentally change the one thing that I think was the hook and made this different than the original. And so at the very end, when he does the whole line where he says, I'm a criminal mastermind, uh, felt so shoehorned in because he had done nothing in the film whatsoever to seem like a criminal. <laughs> and they had basically made his father, while he steals He's now an honest thief, and he steals artifacts for preservation as opposed to actually just being greedy people. Look, the reason why I had any interest in seeing this in the first time when I first heard this being made is because apparently in the book, uh, Artemis, Artemis' dad, we don't even see him at all apparently in the first book. He's just gone. And Artemis knows that his father is a well-renowned criminal, and he is just holding down the criminal empire. So he's doing criminal-ass shit. He is... Uh, he's apparently a 12-year-old James Bond villain. Like, he's a dick, He's but he knows what he's going to do. And it opens in media res where, like, they're going on a search to find, to keep his uh, father's legacy alive and keep the whole family uh, thing alive. And they're in the middle of what essentially was called Die Hard with Fairies. 
that is nothing with what we got with this. Disney was like, cool, we're going to scrap all of that. We'll take the name. We'll take a father, this little Olaf-looking dude that Josh Gad can do, even though I believe in the book he's just a dwarf, not a giant dwarf. They just decided to change that for this for well, reasons. Well, he's also not the narrator in the book. The, right. the book is a third-person story following a bunch of characters, so they can't even get the way we're telling the story correctly. And, it, and because of that, so, it feels like I don't know who I'm supposed to be following in any of this. Well, that's the other weird part, is the movie throws out its characterization of making him at all a criminal mastermind. You have two moments where they just kind of imply that Colin Farrell is a villain, and then at the end he just says it, even <laughs> though he's done no thievery of any kind yeah. in this entire movie. It's almost implied that he's going to in the beginning when he's talking to his, uh, I guess, school guidance counselor. And he's, oh, you're admiring my chair. And he's looking at it like he's putting together how to steal this chair. And I, and I really did think that we were going to get this fun sequence where we'd learn all about him and his thievery. And he was going to take this giant old chair like from, un from right in front of the guy's eyes. And it was going to be this cool like now you understand him and then we're going to introduce the dad and all the stuff he's stolen and instead he doesn't do that and we instead use the scene with the therapist for him to just explain that he's a very stereotypically affluent smart white boy who knows everything like all of these characters are from the child genius who's better than everybody I feel like this is something else I've seen a million times yeah, to the butler, like everyone, everyone is so smart that it makes, it makes no room for anyone. You're like, oh, well, then you're all on the same level. So then why are we doing this? Like no one's growing, no one's learning anything. It's a weird way to have so many, so many characters be both so good and so highly intelligent that if Artemis is supposed to be a genius, a genius criminal mastermind, he doesn't seem that much smarter than anybody else that you have on the playing board, which defeats the purpose. <laughs> well, because he also, when we're learning that he's really smart, it they do a lot of tell, don't show. And therefore, yeah. we get this moment where he's like, well, there's a problem here. Well, of course, there's a problem. I'll give you a answer to any question. And I really thought that meant he was going to be very book smart, but like there weren't going to be any street smarts and he was going to be like socially weird and not know how to do anything. But that wasn't really the case. No, he just kind of was implying that everything's too easy for him, I guess. Yeah. I don't even really know why you would say that to somebody. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I feel just, like every character spoke in like five minute expositions to explain their character. Cause they were like, Josh Gad's whole thing came in. He's like, all right, cool. I'm going to speak in my Batman tone for five minutes and tell you what the what the story is and what I'm doing here. Judy Dench did the same thing in her strep voice and and expo. Then the butler came in and did his expo. Then the, the then the, the fairy came in and did expo. So you have like about six characters who, instead of us learning about their characters or their characterization through acts and doing it in film, they take five minutes of what is a relatively short film and uh, take five minutes each to explain away exposition. And it just feels like I'm watching paint dry for a short amount of time. This movie feels exceptionally long. Well, the other weird part as an adaptation is the Aculus, which 
isn't in the books at all. <laughs> it is something we've invented just for this. And it's really kind of a shame because, you know, in the book, it's about getting gold and using his like sociopathic talents and thievery to steal the ransom to get his father. And instead we've completely changed his motivations, making him just have to get even harder, learn about magic and the world and the Aculus. And instead of sort of doing the first book, which introduced fairies or the second book, which is the kidnapping, we've sort of smushed them together for the sake of a, very basic go get the glowing thing and win yeah. plot device and also kind of diluted any motivations. And my understanding also is that Disney got the rights to make this movie before the first book was even published, which sure. I think really shows you that they weren't even trying to do a proper adaptation. They didn't read this book and think this could be the next Harry Potter or Mockingjay or Maze Runner or The Darkest Minds, which you don't want to be the next Darkest Minds. But here we are being the next Darkest Minds. Um, instead, they clearly were just... The best way to explain this is to tell a quick story. When I was in film school, I had a teacher whose whole thing was, if you want to make a movie, go to every used bookstore you can find and go to the dollar bin and buy every sci-fi book that's a dollar that hasn't been made into a movie and no one has the rights to it. And if it's just popular enough where the book has at least three in it, but no one's bought the rights, buy the rights as cheap as you can. And one day you'll just be rich. Right. That was his whole thing. Yeah. That's clearly what Disney did here. They bought the rights to a book and then we're like, well, we'll make it and it will have a fan base. So we'll just put this cart as far ahead of this horse as we can <laughs> because they'll just love it. Yeah. And sure enough, the book has created a wealth of fan base, a giant group of people who love it and grew up with it. I am not in that camp because I am 30. And as I woke up this morning to see Gen Z trending on Twitter, dragging our generation through the dirt, <laughs> I realized that I am no longer part of the world. Although they're not <laughs> wrong about any of it. Um, you get this generic movie. Yeah. Because you can tell that they just didn't care. <laughs> no. Um, I read, I, I think it was on screen rant, I read a whole thing where Branagh said that they specifically turned uh, Artemis in, from being the, the, the villain or like the, the anti-hero style to a more sympathetic hero. Because I guess the books do it in reverse. They He starts off being basically a criminal, a dick, everybody should not like him. And as the stories go along, they make him sort of an anti-hero. He's still with his dickish ways, but he becomes sort of an anti-hero. Kenneth Branagh said, all right, cool, for the movies, we're going we're gonna to do the inverse of that because I have something cool I want to just flip it on its head and I'm going to make him a hero first and then we will, by the end of the movie, we'll make him a criminal. And I was like, does he not understand how bland that makes your character? If I'm watching the exact same thing that I've seen Maze Runner or Peculiar Children or Dark Minds or all of those books do here and then like, cool, at the very tail end, I'm going to give you a tagline. Guess what? I'm a criminal. Like, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> but you're not a criminal because you didn't even steal the glowing red thing. Yeah. And it, oh man. And then, I mean, that kind of gets us through, there's a lot more in this that just isn't adapted correctly. I mean, even, 
Holly being the only female member of Leprechaun isn't really in there, and all of these other... We also just, I mean, then we just get into the movie itself, which, if you don't know the book, it's... I don't even know if it benefits you or doesn't, because they throw the book out, but they also assume that you know all these characters. Uh, It felt very almost montage-y in that way, but then you start to kind of lose everyone's motivation and what they're doing and why they're there. I really lost track of why the fairies ended up wanting to help him in that third act. We have this giant battle stuck in time that looks like it's pulled right out of a Chronicles of Narnia deleted scene from the early thousands. Cause we could just mm-hmm. not get the side CGI budget we needed. Um, <laughs> And yeah. then all of a sudden, he's just like, well, if I use this, it'll kill all the fairies, and that'd be bad. Oh, the kidnapped person that I have had kidnapped the entire time will now use it for me, and then I'll just have my dad back? There yeah. are zero stakes to this. We None. We kill off the butler for him to just be healed with magic. Right we back. <laughs> We can use the Aculus or Acuros or whatever it's called to just teleport Colin Farrell wherever he needs to be. I don't even know why you need to engage with the villain after that point, but you've just pretty much called him out on like a street fight to yeah, tell him that you're, you're like, coming for him now or her now. You, you got served. I'll meet you in the I'll meet you in the uh, in the uh, school lot at three o'clock, and that's pretty much what just happened at the end of this movie. And they could not have picked a worse time in history to sideline the only two African-American characters in this movie. (laughs) We are introduced in a montage to this girl in this bizarre sequence where Josh Gad is, well, you know, Artemis, he needed somebody who understood jujitsu and fighting, but also knew the complicated mind of a 12-year-old like another 12-year-old. And then we almost never see her again. It's funny because I guess in the book, um, she is a cousin or cousin or a niece or somehow she's somehow related to. They, uh, they say that in her exposition that she's the yeah. niece and she's part of the butler. And so family. I, it's a weird thing because I would imagine that in the book, she is not a, a person of color. But to then make her a person of color and also make the butler, who wasn't apparently a person of color as well, both in this movie that way and then like cool we filled our check boxes of uh ethnic minorities place and now we will just sideline them because they are utterly unneeded for anything that we're telling right now then why even do it (laughs) in an amazing twist terrence they also sideline the white boy (laughs) and about (laughs) halfway through the movie it just comes the face it the movie All of a sudden, it's just titled, Judy Dench's movie. Yeah, the movie that is titled Artemis File, about 40% of the way in, stops being about Artemis File. And you're like, well, okay. Well, it we don't have anything off- to do except sit in front of this Dark Knight camera rig and yeah. yell at, the, at his two indentured servants. <laughs> so, uh... Oh, also, this sequence where we showed them training in jujitsu and sword fighting, you will never see him sword fight. 
No, it'll never come up. For some reason, we had to open this movie with him doing some triple uh, X surfboarding for reasons, because it's not important to anything that's happening in the rest of this film. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, they really, I mean, I've never seen a movie also just assume that it's going to get a sequel harder. We call out the villain, we save yeah. Josh Gad, and we're literally just like, on to the next mission. <laughs> We talk, I mean, we've talked about that before, and we both actively hate movies that do it, but this felt like, I mean, it's a lot of money on the board. It's $125 million that this movie cost to make, but I'm sitting here like, this felt the most like a prequel to when we actually started making these movies that I've ever seen. Like, this felt like a TV pilot, but I was like, this was going to be released in theaters had the world not stopped. And I feel like this would have been terrible to put this type of thing out in the theater. Well, oh, yeah, no, I mean, this is a this is a, a hardcore Disney Plus release. I mean, yeah. I don't even Disney Plus's original movies are already better than this. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't even really know where this would go, because the reality is, is it's just bad. And I yeah, guess you like, don't take as big of a hit on Disney Plus, but why why would you do it anywhere else? Yeah, I. Whew. This is the this is the this is why the reviews are so low for this, and why we're we've been crapping on it. It's not a good adaptation or a good movie. Like sometimes there are those rare times where the adaptation has changed and it makes it a, and it still becomes a good movie. This is one that's like no, no one, no one is happy about this. And you spend $125 to make a sanitized version of a character that people cared about. And now I imagine that we'll never hear of this character again until maybe 20 years. Like, let's make an animated version of this and try again. Well, especially if you look at kind of how the box office would have looked in an alternate timeline when 2020 wasn't on fire. <laughs> it was going to come out at the top of June, which it kind of did. Um, so good for them. It would have then had Fast and Furious behind it, which Ouch. would have tanked it. Yeah. Wonder Woman the week after, Candyman the week after that, and Maverick at the end of the month. So when you look at kind of what the YA audience is, and when I think YA, I think... 13 to 16. And I think this movie is really more like 9 to 12. Yeah. It just I, really has this Spy Kids adventure vibe. But Spy Kids is a delight. Spy Kids um, is so much fun. I feel, yeah. I feel like this is, yeah, like Hunger Games and Maze Runner are in one category. I do feel like those are for teen, like that 13 to 16 range. But I feel like this is more in the a wrinkle in time young adult thing where it's like, yeah, 9 to 10-year-olds, 9 to 11-year-olds. And that's essentially it. And I don't think I, – I don't know. I didn't read the books, but I don't – from the vibe that I've gotten from the books, I don't think the books feel that kitty. No, and they grow up with their audience. They right. kind of continuously, the same way Harry Potter kind of did too, where yeah. with each time the author speaks, she buries herself deeper in a hole. Um, <laughs> Joanne, shut the fuck up. Out, right. <laughs> with every book that comes out, they understand that 
the kid reading this book who is around, if not the same exact age as the protagonist, is mm-hmm. also growing up. Therefore, they are dealing with different things. And as you grow up, you deal with more adult things. That isn't to say Artemis Fowl 5 is like his first tax return, but you'll get <laughs> more impactful relationships. This movie had a character who didn't really grow because he didn't need to grow and then didn't at the end. There was no real arc. It really was set up more like a Kenneth Branagh murder mystery, murder on the Orient Express type situation where we transport the glowy gem back to the people who can take it safe. We get a list of names And then the fairy gets to lead her team and Artemis gets to go get revenge on the cloaked villain, which I feel like they were trying to imply that instead of doing the books, every movie is just going to be one name on this list and whatever the main villain is doing. And it was going to be these self-contained adventures, but because he's not a thief, you don't even really get any... like it should have felt like a young Indiana Jones almost. We should have had something to steal and had a scheme and a quest and a heist. And instead he just sat in his mansion and waited for things to come to him. Like a, a rich young white boy. Petulant, a petulant privileged child. Yes. <laughs> but this age group that they're going for, I mean, wonder woman would have covered that base. Fast yeah. and the Furious probably would have covered that base. Cause that one's all over. Correct. I feel like Candyman was R-rated, so maybe not, but Maverick's yeah. coming for everybody. So there's really – this they, they made a movie for nobody because they didn't get the fan base right. They didn't get any fun nostalgia for anybody who grew up with these and is a little bit younger than us who knows them. And they didn't try to make it appeal to non-readers or anybody – so it yeah. really feels like a knockoff Marvel movie. Yeah, it's like, who did you make this for? The one, I don't, I mean, again, neither of us knew this before, uh, no one knew this was a book before the movie started saying, hey, we're based on a book. Um, so it's this weird thing where it's like, I don't know this title. So the one audience that you have to please or get correct is at least give the book readers at least some part of what it is they know. And what you did was completely bastardize them and just alienate them and piss them off. And then you also made a bad movie. <laughs> like you yeah, did you both. Can, you can get away a little bit if you make a movie that isn't fully accurate to the book, but is good. I look right. at like the original Lemony Snicket movie, which was pretty much throughout everything. And was like, what if in 90 minutes we made three books happen? Yeah. And it was a little rushed, but it wasn't a bad movie. Like it had wow. fun and tree and it got dark and weird and they really leaned into the oddities in that book. And that allowed them to get away with certain things where this is sort of not leaning into that and is instead leaning into all of the things I spat off at the top of this podcast because it is an insurmountable amount of things that they're stealing. Uh, so yeah. really, the movie is stealing more than the character does. That's who the master thief <laughs> is. It's the franchise. Because yes. um, yeah. they are just taking everything they can. When it's, they did uh, that Matrix ending, I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me that 
look, Disney Plus has been interesting. This whole experiment with Disney Plus has been interesting because a lot of the movies that they've made have been made specifically for Disney Plus. And those all seem like that's where they've like the Lady and the Tramps and the 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 Noel is oh yeah, these worked and were cute and worked for this for that medium. This is the first film that was made for something else and put here, and it just it sticks out like this doesn't belong here because this is too big for this medium, but also so small that it and and not within the realm of what typically feels for these Disney Plus original films. Like, this just feels like, what is this? Like, I don't know where you put this, where this should be, but it definitely doesn't feel like it belongs on this based on what has already been put on Disney Plus. This just feels like an outlier. I was going to say, and you've already got movies, like Lady and the Tramp was a well-produced movie. Noel was, was a well-produced movie. People loved Togo. Uh, right. Stargirl also had, like, money behind it. So everything they've really done, especially the like documentaries they have, One Day at Disney, Dolphin Reef, um, prop culture, there's things that they're putting out that have so much care in it that it feels like their brand is really young adult to teen products that could have been in a theater, but we put Disney money into it. We know those Marvel shows are going to have Disney money behind it. This feels like... This feels like the original movie that would have been on Netflix like around the time Bright happened, when they hadn't quite gotten their footing on original content or how to budget for it and didn't realize what kind of they would have done. And if it was at like Blockbuster, it would have been the bargain bin, and that's how I think the perception of streaming original movies was for a long time. It was, yeah. And I think this is like a throwback to that. (laughs) <laughs> Which when you think about how it was originally meant to be in theaters, and not just originally meant to be in theaters, this was supposed to be Disney's answer to Harry Potter, uh, Maze Runner, Dark, the, all of these YA trilogy franchise yeah. movies that every studio has but Disney, but Disney doesn't need that. They right. have everything else. Because when I think of when I was the age for these books, I was reading comics and watching Star Wars. So they are already doing the young adult stuff that I had. I don't right. know why we need to chase a ghost that candidly feels like it's kind of on the outs anyways as a, a genre in film. Well, that was going to be my next thing. I was like, is the young adult thing as just a, a genre and movies still active? Like, I feel like we saw with the way that Maze Runner, the last Maze Runner did. Now, granted, it got delayed because Dylan got hurt, but... I think it was at its height when that second one came out. By the time the third one came out, and by the time the last Hunger Games come out, that audience that was in it at the very beginning had aged out and no longer cared. And I don't think anyone is actively now still searching for young adult movies like that anymore. Yeah, because I don't really know what the what Gen Z is consuming in terms of theatrical movie content, or especially what they're reading. I have no idea. Yeah, so, correct. It seems like our kind of young adult novelization, which really, for me at least, started with Harry Potter and ended with Hunger Games. And for a while, you got these Chris Columbus adventure vibe, whimsical, fun, but kind of dark coming of age stories with all of these different characters and unique perspectives that really made those things thrive. And I think when you look at it now, they want those unique perspectives to be 
diversity and inclusiveness and they almost want to mirror what we're kind of going through the escapism of the of the young adult genre is kind of changing where i think they used to be the good versus evil it's always going to work out it's the chosen one and harry's going to win it's it's she's going to overthrow the citadel or whatever they call it in mockingjay and everything's going to be fine and now when you look at the world and how active younger people are I don't really think it's enough to just go, it's a dystopian world, but the hero's going to fix it. I think yeah. now you really have to say something and hit hard thematically. Yeah, and I mean, Artemis Fowl might have had that, but the movie just doesn't. The movie does not. Yeah, and you, you, you're you probably on to something because you look at uh, all the stuff that's happening in the world, the, the people that are leading these protests are are our teens it's the young it's the young folks that are, are are leading these things you're right they probably are now at this point where like look this simple stuff that you've been giving us no longer works we're gonna need a little bit more meat on the bones if you're if you're trying to still speak to me um which you're right we haven't read the books i don't know if the book itself does it i also think that if you're going to do now that you have disney plus and now that you have all these other streaming services i think it might be better to do sort of what uh, um, a lot of folks are doing and do these in long form on streaming services as, as, as opposed to doing a one hour, 50 minute movie or one hour, 30 minute movie, do like a nine or 10 episode season of it. And so you can kind of do everything uh, that actually takes place in it and spend a little bit more time and care on it. I think the audience is, if you're trying to find that audience, I don't know if you're going to find that audience on in theaters anymore, but I think you still need to take your time and, and attempt to do that in, on the streaming devices. Because I do think the audiences are there. I just don't think you're not going to get that in a, at a movie theater. Yeah, anymore. and I think, you know, I'm trying to find it now where I'm just Googling what Gen Z likes in movies. And it's a lot of, like, to all the boys I've loved before, The Edge of right. 17, Booksmart. So these... These are all kind of coming of age movies that really right. get into identity more. And yeah. I think Artemis Fowl, that's the one place where Artemis Fowl, they're also not fantasy based. Those are all kind right. of grounded Real movies. Music, like so love, love Simon and the hate you give. You're like, it's stuff that like, Oh, this is a little, I'm talking about something that's actually happening for me to form who I am as a, as a human. Those are more interesting than the fantasy stuff. Yeah, and you see them even connecting to the Marvel stuff, the new Spider-Man movies, the new Black Panther. So things like Dope, they're kind of getting into oh, yeah. more yeah. heightened movies. And I think the the sci-fi dystopian world to us a 2001 to 2008 world because that's sort of how it felt in a post 9-11 Bush administration was like even video games kept doing it from Bioshock to Fallout to Gears of War like there was a while where every story was just and the world has ended and now we have to do this and it's it's us against big government and it's us against a government that's gone awry and I think now we are kind of in the most extreme version of that so that genre either needs to evolve and change a bit with it or kind of leave it back because I don't think we're as afraid of big brother as we were. And we now are more about just systematic change 
which are two different things. Yeah. It's not really enough to just dismantle the oppressor anymore. It is now like, well, we have to do that, and then we have to make it so that it doesn't happen again, which is never right. really how like the Hunger Games ends. They're always just like, yep. and we killed them. And so we killed them. Now. And this could just go back to being the same way again, but right now we're going to end here, guys. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that was the other thing that really bothered me about Artemis Fowl is I just kept going, if I was a parent, which I'm old enough to be one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> why would I show this to my kid other than to like shut him up? There's no meat on these bones. There's no, There's no... yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, people, people always have been saying that like, oh, this got Disney fied, and I do think there they did get a lot of Disney treatments, like the killing of the parent and all, killing of the mom and all that good stuff. I think yes, but at the heart of most Disney stuff, there is still a lesson to be taught, and this is one that I was like, I couldn't sit anybody in front of this because I don't know what you're supposed to get out of this. I, I, this movie doesn't deliver anything other than a, a waste of time for it. Like, there's nothing learned from this for an hour and it's however long. It's been. telling you, if you're smarter than everybody else, just keep being smarter. Like, <laughs> yeah. You don't really need to be nice to anybody because the movie is literally him going, they kidnapped my dad to get something from me. I should probably kidnap one of them to get something from them. It's right. It's an eye for an eye story, except it works. Right. Like, and uh, <laughs> so that yeah, that's the payoff. It's like, look, you sh you should not turn the other cheek. If someone wrongs you, you should wrong them back, and then it'll all be good. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting yeah, thing is... to think about of what how that genre is dying is it really feels like it's a genre that's dying because the dark it is but I, but I do think it is growing in different ways because love love simon's getting its own got its own uh series and like the hate you give and and even the fault of our stars those type of young adult things seem to be what is staying around i think the sci-fi stuff or the fantasy stuff, the dystopian future look at stuff is what's kind of like, all right, we've outgrown that. And it's probably because, like we talked about, the world itself is so effed up. They're like, look, we want more realistic things that are actually closer to us than than this. We're not at the sci-fi stuff. This well, stuff that's happening in the hate you give is knocking on my door every day. <laughs> and the the and I wonder, if, and this might be part of it too. I don't really know, but <clears throat> all the best versions of that are available to you. You don't really need to go and seek it out when you can just kind of watch the best Harry Potter movies on HBO Max and Exactly. If you want the, the fantasy stuff, it's there. Like the, Chron the Chronicles of Narnia, the first two, they're there if that's something you want to get into. They're Harry Potter, they're there if you want to get into that. You don't need a new version of that. You need these other stories to be told. Yeah, I think that's it's really just looking for something new and uh this movie copies from everything popular to me. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, because I must have been eight when Spy Kids came out. And I keep referring to it as Spy Kids specifically because it's the same formula. The parents have a secret. The parents get kidnapped. It's time to show you kids what you're not supposed to see yet. Here's yeah. the truth. We've opened up the world to something bigger. Go save your parents. Except I mean, Spy Kids has. That's essentially the Runaways. It's like a mini. Yeah, Spy Kids is that very much. But that's essentially what the Runaways Marvel comic 
book is, and as well as the TV series is. Like, those kids are playing for the sins of their parents, but they don't know their parents are, like, in this whole, like, evil villain team together. They find, they stay, they stumble upon it, and then they have to do something. It's literally a story that's been done so many times, but so many times better than anything that we got here. Yeah, which, you know, if you're going to do it, do it better or do it different. And this did not. No. <clears throat> it's a bad movie, and I think you should avoid it. You're better like, off watching High School Musical on Disney Plus. Yeah, there's like there's so many things. School of Rock, to. which is now on Disney Plus. Yes, and soon, soon dinosaurs will be on Disney Plus, and I will be <laughs> a happy man. <laughs> Why would you ever make new content again? <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for us, guys. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us at Facebook.com/groups/HollywoodRDI on Twitter at HollywoodADI. And on Instagram at Hollywood already did it. I'm at as always Blake and Terrence is at Terrence Tatum. And that is it. Later.